Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Casillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, hit that little bell, do all that fun stuff. And today... We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Edward Looney, and we're going to be discussing his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion, Guided Meditations for Every Sunday and Other Holy Days. Just so everybody knows, uh, I'm going to introduce Father Looney, um, a brief bio, Father Edward Looney. is an ordained priest in the Diocese of Green Bay, uh, or he was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Green Bay in June 2015, and is an internationally recognized Marian theologian, writer, speaker, and radio personality. He's also a member of the Mariological Society of America and serves on its administrative council. Father Looney is the author of the best-selling books, A Heart Like Mary's, and a rosary litany, and his writings have also appeared in the pages of Catholic Digest and online at Aletia and Catholic Exchange. Father has appeared on radio and television through the Apostolates of Relevant Radio, Radio Maria, Shalom World, and EWTN. Father Edward Looney, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Well, it's great to be with you, and of course, now through Veritas uh, Network as well. Yes, yes, we're very excited. We just started uh, basically uh, broadcasting through Veritas. It's a great, great organization. We're thrilled. So, Father, if you don't mind, we usually start all our interviews with a prayer, and if you would lead us in a prayer, that would be a beautiful thing. I'd be happy to do so in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. During this year of St. Joseph, we ask that we might imitate his example that we see in sacred scripture, that we might come to love the Lord Jesus, as he loved him as his own, and to love Mary as our mother, as he loved her as his spouse. We ask this through Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Father, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself with regard to your journey to the priesthood. I always ask that question of priests, because I always find that to be very interesting, and I'm sure our listeners will find that is interesting as well. Sure. You know, one of the things you heard in that little introduction that you so beautifully read and someone put together for me, I guess, uh, it says that a lot about the Blessed Mother, you know, member of the Mariological Society of America. Um, I've written books about Mary. And really, I would say that she was the, the guide, in a sense, to a priestly vocation. I ended up going on a few different pilgrimages across the sea, uh, the ocean, to uh, different Marian shrines when I was in high school and college, and they really made an impression on me. And 
really at those places of Marian apparition, I, I felt the beginning of a call to the priesthood. I, I actually went to the seminary right out of high school. I went to, uh, went to a seminary uh, up in Minnesota, you know, good place, but it wasn't meant for me. I just, uh, you know, I was 18 at the time and just really kind of did not enjoy the experience and, and thought, well, you know what? I gave this whole priesthood thing a try. I'm going to go do something else with my life. Got involved in politics and communications and radio and all those things. And, uh, you know, God has a sense of humor. I never thought that I would consider priesthood again, but uh, I realized one night uh, working in politics uh, that really that wasn't the life, you know, to go from election to election and all the ups and downs of that. And and I said, there's got to be something more. And I remember reading in the Magnificat magazine uh, a number of years ago now, probably seven, eight years ago, talked to, it was talking about bless, or St. Edith Stein, uh, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And basically that little bio of her said that she was uh, that she was this atheistic philosopher and she asked the question, well, there has to be something more. There has to be something more fulfilling. And I really call that like that night in politics at the election victory parties that were not victorious. Uh, I call that my Edith Stein moment where I just said, there's got to be something more, something more fulfilling. And and uh, I realized, well, my great love is for religion, for Mary. And I said, well, I'll go back to the seminary, went to a different seminary. It was a really good fit. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. And uh, as you mentioned, 2015, so almost six years now, ordained a priest uh, in Green Bay, uh, in the diocese there in Green Bay. And I serve in a very touristy area uh, in Door County. So in Wisconsin, we always talk about the hand. And so this, I'm on the peninsula. So that's where I live. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we have a lot in common with you because we're big fans of the Blessed Mother as well. So that is wonderful. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful devotion. And, and that's basically, uh, I guess, the first question that I kind of wanted to dive into. I mean, clearly you have a huge devotion to Our Lady, and so do I, and I know so does Joe. If someone was listening to this and wanted to acquire that uh, devotion, what would be, I guess, the best way to go about it, um, just from, a, you know, the regular guy in the pew? Yeah, you know, I think the common Catholic goes into the church and, um, you know, I think of the ordinary people from my parishes. They come in and what do they know about Mary? Okay, they probably know that there's a statue of her up there. There's candles and people like candles asking her for her prayers. They probably know the Hail Mary. They might even know some of these uh, holy days of obligation because they've come, hopefully, Assumption and Immaculate Conception and Mary, Mother of God. But beyond that, they probably don't know too much about her. And so um, they, they know that there's a string of beads and it's a long prayer, you know, to pray them all and all the mysteries. But I think to, to simply acquire a Marian devotion probably first would be have one of those images in your home of Mary, have a statue of Mary, a picture of Mary. And, and I think, you know, St. John Paul II, he went, uh, when his mother died, he went into that church in Poland and he said, Mary, you must be a mother to me now. Maybe make a similar prayer yourself. Mary, help me to know you as a mother. And, uh, and then too, whenever we need intercession, we ask her for her prayers that she does truly pray for us. That's a, another way that, you know, uh, there was a, a rector of a, set, of a shrine that I, I interviewed one time in Belgium and 
he said something that I never have forgotten. He said that in a moment of crisis, the people will never forget the address of Our Lady. And so basically he was saying, no matter what, they'll always come to her shrine. They will light a candle. They'll say a prayer there. And I know that's true for, for my diocese. The parishes I serve are 20 minutes from the only approved Marian apparition in the United States in Champion, Wisconsin. And uh, that, you know, people go there when they hear that someone is in need of healing or someone needs uh, a job or something, some crisis happens, they go to the, tr- the shrine there and they light a candle. So I think it's just simply beginning somewhere, doing something, saying a little prayer. If you want to pray the rosary, pray a decade first and then ease into five decades if that's new to you. Uh, I think it's simply going through the action that we acquire it and then uh, really it brings us deeper to a love of the Blessed Mother as well. So you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we are with Father Edward Looney, and we're discussing his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion, Guided Meditations for Every Sunday and Other Holy Days. Uh, okay. uh, Joe, I want to yeah, just say, go ahead, go ahead. No. Oh. no, well, here's the thing. You, you just were talking about Our Lady, a, a, a kind of a compound question. Uh, number one, why is it important okay, to to invoke Our Lady. And let's say you were talking to one of our Protestant brothers and sisters, Mm. and they were to say, well, why don't you just go directly to Jesus? Which of course we can and we do, all right. Um, But why is it so important to invoke Our Lady? What's the reason for that, Father Looney? Well, I think we look just to the example of Jesus. So um, Jesus had this great care and concern for his mother, even from the cross, that on that Good Friday, he said from the cross, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And he wanted to take care of her. And in the, John says in the gospel that immediately from that hour, Mary took her, to, or John took Mary into his home. And I think that's the Paul, that's what our tradition and Catholicism has always said that what John did, we too are invited to do as well. At the wedding feast at Cana, Mary Mary, through her request uh, allows Jesus to turn water into wine. She noticed a need. And so for that Marian intercession, it's allowing Mary to notice the needs of our own life and then to bring them uh, before her son. Now, this is very biblical. In the Old Testament, it talks about the queen mother. The queen was the mother of the king. And so when the the queen would then be the advocate that the common people would come to her and she would bring the requests to the king. And then the king would say, okay, well, now this is what I say. And this is how I decide and reign and rule. And that happens. And I think the same is true for Mary, that uh, she advocates for us. This is what she does. When she appeared in Champion, Wisconsin, she said, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. Well, Mary tells us that I am praying in heaven for the conversion of sinners so we can ask her uh, to, to pray for us. So really, it's it's her role. It's what, uh, what she has been given as a role as the spiritual mother of all believers uh, to do for us, is to offer those prayers on our behalf. I think, too, it comes down to sometimes people might be afraid. They might be afraid to approach the Lord. Even though in the scripture so many came to him, people today might feel, you know, I've done something, I'm so ashamed of it, but maybe Mary can bring me to Jesus. And then Mary brings us to Jesus, and then we reconcile with Christ. When I was serving as an auxiliary confessor at the shrine in Lourdes, France, that was something I realized, that so many people were coming to Lourdes. They came for the grotto. They came for Mary. They wanted to pray there. 
But then they felt that call from the Blessed Mother then to go to the confessional, to go and confess their sins. So I think that's what, you know, what we see all throughout history is people have asked Mary's prayers. They've turned to her in a moment's need, and then they've received a particular grace. And I think that history itself speaks to that. So that should inform us in our own practice as well. You know, I, as I said, I mean, I'm a huge Blessed Mother. Uh, I was going to say fan, uh, but I, I oh, we are fans. But I'm a big fanboy. <laughs> I have a. I definitely have a devotion. Um, the way I look at it is, it's A to B. Mary is A to B to Jesus, and I'm not A to B because I'm imperfect. So I always think of it from the from the Feast of the Wedding of Cana perspective. Um, I give her everything and she gives it to Christ and cleans it up because I need to get cleaned up. I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm glad Father said that because you confirmed something that I had thought for a while because because those are questions, Father, especially since I wasn't always practicing and, and in the church. Um, coming back, I was actually thinking about, let's say, Protestantism and this and that. And it's one of those things about Mary that, yes, it's not that Jesus doesn't see what we need. It's that we are afraid many times to approach him like the like the guests at the wedding feast. They knew who Jesus was, and they but they went to his mother because they knew who he was and they didn't want to go. You know, they may perhaps had a had a good healthy fear of, of looking at the truth in the face, so they went to his mom and she intercedes. People, I think, should understand that relationship. And thank you, Father, because obviously in in Protestant Catholic back and forth. Sure. That's a major stumbling block for some of our brothers and sisters. One of the most interesting things, I believe, is that uh, at the very end of the Gospel of Cana, it says, from that hour, the disciples began to believe in him. So Jesus calls them, they follow him, and now they see this happen, and it facilitates belief and faith. And of course, we know Peter denies Jesus. We know they have moments of doubt, uh, but yet it's a moment where they say, this is really real. This man that we were drawn to who teaches us. Uh, it's, it's a moment of profound faith. And Mary led them there because she said she made that request. And I think too, if you're afraid of Mary and devotion, simply ask the blessed mother, you know, at Cana, like she said, like she did, she noticed their need. Well, say, Mary, whatever need it is that I have in my life, I want you to bring that. Even if I don't know it, bring it to Jesus and, and let him do something with that. And that's a prayer. There was a, I, I host a podcast, How They Love Mary. And on that podcast, I interviewed Heidi Hess Saxton, who is a very good friend of Father Ubald, uh, who is this uh, Rwandan healing priest, uh, died of COVID just a few months yes. ago. Yeah. And, and she was saying to me that, you know, she was a convert. She came from Protestantism. And so she was very reticent about Mary and piety and devotion. And so she just, someone had given her a medal of the miraculous medal and she had that. And she was going to a church, a new church, just moved to an area. And she said, Mary or Jesus, I don't know if you really want me to pray and ask your mother to pray for me, but I'm going to ask her to send someone to sit next to me at church. And if you send someone, then I'll know it's okay to ask Mary to pray for me. And wouldn't you know, someone came to her and said, hey, I'm new to the area. Do you mind if I sit with you? Hmm. And so she did it the next week. And again, someone came and sat by her. So she didn't want to be alone in the church. And there made that prayer intercession to the Blessed Mother. And, and God said, yes, it's okay to be devoted to Mary. 
That's a wonderful story. It is, really. You know, again, you mentioned the rosary. Um, one of the priests I've, re- I've read uh, a book about his life was Patrick Payton. He talked oh, about yeah. praying the rosary. The family that prays together stays together. I utterly and absolutely believe that. I think that's how America can be converted, through the rosary. Uh, Joe Pasillo and myself have started a men's rosary rally on the first Saturday of every month. We pray in front of a church. Men, uh, behind the banner of the Blessed Mother, as we all know, Our Lady of Fatima asked uh, all people to pray the rosary, and it's a special devotion on the first Saturday. But talk about the family rosary, Father. I honestly believe that this will strengthen families in America as well as convert America to the heart of Jesus as well as to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We've seen powerful stories of the rosary all throughout time. The the very feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, also known as Our Lady of Victory, was the, the victory at the Battle of Lepanto, that people united in praying the rosary so that Christianity and its message wouldn't be snuffed out. Um, the, the family rosary, as you mentioned, Father Patrick Payne, a, a wonderful witness. If you haven't seen the movie Pray, go and watch it. Uh, truly an inspiring story uh, that Father, pa- uh, Father Payton, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be doing all this work. He wasn't supposed to go to, to around the world and promote the rosary. He came down with tuberculosis and uh, he, he prayed for a miraculous healing. He was never going to be out on the, the preaching circuit. And yet, he got that healing through the powerful intercession of Mary. And that's how he became this great apostle of family prayer. We, as families, you know, the families I know, I, I encourage them to pray as a family, to pray the rosary. Yes. Uh, you mentioned Our Lady of Fatima. Well, Mary said, pray the rosary for peace in the world. Well, if you want peace in your family, well, then pray the rosary together. Uh, imitate the the life of Jesus as we pray on it. Uh, the rosary, I often describe it as kind of, you know, Mary's picture book or Mary's Instagram account or something like that, where she wants to tell us the story of Jesus's life. And so there she is telling us about how he was born, then what happened when she went to visit Elizabeth, then what happened at the nativity. So it's Mary's telling of the story. And as we know that story of salvation history, well, then as a family praying the rosary together, those fruits of the mystery, patience and peace and perseverance and all that, uh, you begin to acquire them. For me, I know that when I begin my day praying the rosary, my day is a lot better than if I wait and pray at three or four o'clock. There was during the pandemic, I was praying the rosary at our Lourdes Grotto at my church. And so I was live streaming it every day uh, for the most part. Uh, and uh, I noticed that during those two months I did that, there, there was a peace. There was a serenity about doing it early in the morning. So uh, claim the rosary as a family prayer. Yes. Um, again, gradually introduce it. Maybe begin with maybe just doing a decade of of the rosary. Uh, pray a decade on the way to school if you're commuting. You know, there, there are so many ways that we can begin to introduce the rosary uh, to families. So if you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello discussing Father Edward Looney's new book, Meditations After Holy Communion. Father, let's pivot to the book, okay? Um, your book guides the reader through each Sunday of the year with meditations that are tied to the liturgical seasons. And each meditation introduces the reader to a topic for reflection and provides points to ponder and a short prayer. So tell us a little bit 
um, and tell our audience a little bit about this format. How will these reflections help the average Catholic in the pews to a deeper understanding of Jesus' true presence in the Blessed Sacrament and the Mass? Yeah, one of the goals of this book, uh, Meditations After Holy Communion, is really to help people, first of all, come to really believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. Uh, the CARA the statistics say, I, I don't even know the exact number, let's just say 20% of Catholics believe in the real presence. Well, that means 80% of people that come on Sunday who go up for communion just believe, okay, this is like supernatural bread, but this isn't, this isn't like Jesus, you know, they, they don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So I, I really wanted to help people to understand that. And I think one of the ways we can do that is by having that little conversation with Jesus. That was the second aim of the book was to teach people how to talk to Jesus, to take very basic questions and maybe to meditate on them and maybe to ask the Lord different questions and to sit in silence but why do we do that? Well, we do it because the God of the universe has come in us, that God who is Emmanuel became present on the altar. And now we have those few moments in which we have communion with him, one in union with Jesus. And so those are powerful moments in which we can talk to the Lord in a very power, in a very special way that we can, uh, St. John Henry Newman had this phrase, heart speaks to heart, that we can allow our hearts to speak to Jesus. And so to allow him to hear our concerns, our worries, to bring our thanksgiving and our joys, to offer them all to the Lord in that moment after Holy Communion. What do most people do when they receive Holy Communion. Well, maybe they go back to the pew, they sing a song, that's nice. Hopefully they just say, thank you, Jesus. That'd be the first thing, just to say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to receive you today. Maybe it's to have that little conversation to say, Jesus, I need your strength. And it's really just having that little conversation with the Lord. Now, there are some people that don't even return to the pew. They just leave right away. They don't appreciate the fact of what has just happened. So that was the goal. That was the aim was to help people understand Christ truly present by actually praying and talking with him. I will say, and I'll hand it over to Joe, uh, one good thing. is That's why all men, all single men out there need to get married if they're not going to become a priest because the wives— when you know, are, are usually spot on. I know that's the case with Joe's wife and and his and her sister, who's my wife. Okay, my wife looks for all these different ways that we could deepen our faith and you know all, all the the pious practices. One good thing, this is just something we do that my wife discovered that I would recommend to all Catholics out there to help you after you receive Jesus. We pray the Anima Christi when we go back to the pew. We pray that it's a beautiful prayer. It's talking about the body of Christ, the soul of Christ, the wounds of Christ. Um, I think it's a beautiful prayer. I think it's, it's, ve it's very helpful to help us to remember, as you said, Father, what just happened. Yeah, you know, actually, one of my meditations in the book actually focuses on the anima Christi. And that's partly because uh, that was the first prayer that I ever really prayed after communion. And it was because in our parish church, the pastor put together like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper made it into a brochure and put a lot of prayers on there. And so the prayers he put on there, you know, where he was trying to encourage people to say prayers before mass or whatever. And, and one of them was the anima Christi. And I'll never forget that when I looked at that piece of paper, it said, 
uh, indulgence, 300 days or something like that. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant that I had to receive communion 300 times and I had to pray that prayer 300 <laughs> times. And so here I am like 16, 17, 18 years old and I'm doing that and I, I'm keeping track even. Okay, this is like one day 100 of receiving communion and praying the anima Christi. Now, of course, I've come to know that that language 300 days is, it used to talk about kind of time off purgatory, but we know that God is outside of time, eternity, there is no time. So we really can't talk about time in, a, in purgatory. So we don't use that language anymore. But that was one of the first prayers I, I learned, I prayed after Holy Communion. And to this very day, when I celebrate Mass, when I'm done purifying the vessels, if I go to the chair and I sit down, or if I'm standing there at the altar, I will pause there will be silence, hopefully, and I'm going to recite the Anima Christi in my head. I'm going to pray it. And I do that because the people have already had that opportunity to pray themselves, hopefully. Hopefully they engage that time. But as the priest giving out communion, purifying the vessels, I haven't had that moment. So that's just like the brief moment where I pause and I say that prayer that I learned so long ago. Father, you mentioned a couple of things that I just want to comment on. And first I want to say is we're about solutions here on the front line. And you're addressing the fact, uh, which Joe and I have addressed on a number of podcasts, that uh, during Catholic Mass, the bread and wine, which actually becomes the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, only 31 percent. That's according to Pew. Um, believe that. And your book is addressing that. Now, that is wonderful because that is a solution. It's easy to complain. We're about solutions and you're providing one. And I, I, I commend you on that. But you also mentioned silence. And I want to touch on that a little bit. One of my suggestions to people who don't believe in the true presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament is go to adoration. Sit before our Lord and simply say these words. God, I don't believe in you in the sacrament, but I want to help my unbelief. Do it once a week for five minutes and leave. Within a year, my bet is you'll believe in God. Talk a little bit about that. Father, just to give you a heads up, we have about three and a half minutes to the break. So if you want to go longer, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Sounds good. So, you know, what you kind of get at right there is, you know, Blaise Pascal, who is this um, uh, philosopher a long time ago, he, he talked about kind of, we talk about Pascal's wager. He said, it's better to believe than not to have believed. So that was his encouragement. Believe in God because you'd rather believe and be found out false rather than to not believe and be found out that it was true. And so, but he also, I remember hearing that he wrote, uh, he said, basically, if you want to come to faith, Go to church, go to the statue, light a candle, bow your head, and over time, you're going to come to believe. And that's exactly what you just said, to sit there in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in adoration, or maybe if it's not even in the monstrance, just before the tabernacle, because we pass by churches all the time. We can sneak in, we can say a prayer, we can say, Lord, I want to believe in you. Reveal yourself, show yourself to me. The apostles, they pray, increase our faith. That was one of the requests. And so we can say, Lord, increase my faith that you are truly here in the Eucharist. I know that in my own life, when I was 
newly ordained uh, in the first, you know, six months, one of my prayers was, Lord, is this really real? Show me this is real. And God showed up in a very powerful way the next day or that very night, one of the two, and really showed me, yes, this is real. Like I was, I was in the right place at the right time to offer consolation and, and, uh, you know, really to participate in a person's conversion. And so um, I think that's, you, you hit the nail on the head. If you want to believe, ask for that deeper faith and uh, the Lord will, the Lord will give it to you over time. He'll you know, cause people, you. cause people have to realize God loves us. And I always say the greatest, I know we have a minute, Joe, and yeah, yeah. I'll just say, but like, you know, God knows our hearts better than anyone else. That's why I'm also a big adoration guy. You know, like you just sit there, you sit there, a good priest friend of ours. I say this on a lot of our shows, but it's so, it really made an impression on me. Adoration is radiation. It shrinks the self. We sit in front of the Lord and he speaks to our heart. So important. Definitely. Yeah. You, you are very articulate in all of that. Excellent. So, uh, so we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. Uh, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with Father Edward Looney, and we are discussing his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion communion guided meditations for every sunday and other holy days uh please be sure to follow joe and i on facebook and youtube you can find us at the front line with joe and joe like subscribe and share and please be sure to download the veritas catholic network app 1350 on your am dial serving the new york metropolitan area father looney we'll have you say it again at the end but where for our audience who's listening now can folks find you your book and everything else Sure. I'm at, on social media at FR Edward Looney, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, EdwardLooney.com is my website, and the book is available through Sophia Institute Press or any good Catholic bookseller. Awesome. All right, everybody out there in the audience, stick around. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. Every day, we ask the question, what's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? People call in from all over the world to share with us their thoughts, their concerns, their questions about the Catholic faith. And we try to answer those questions, remove objections and misunderstanding. And the fruit is obvious in the lives of the callers. We get testimonies on a daily, weekly basis of those whose lives have been transformed by first encountering the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church on Catholic Radio. Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, is bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York, serving the larger New York City metro area. You can support their ministry by calling 833-888-7884. That's 833-88-TRUTH or veritascatholic.com. Remember, Veritas Catholic Network, on the air since August the 21st, 2019. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo is always joined by Joe Resinello, and we are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. And we are discussing Father Edward Looney's new book, Meditations After Holy Communion, Guided Meditations for Every Sunday and Other Holy Days. With that, I'm handing it over to my brother, Joe Resinello. Father, in doing uh, some research for this interview, I came across uh, this little nugget that I wanted to bring up. 
basically you said that this book was inspired by Father Daniel Lord S.J. Could you talk a little bit about that? I think it will uh, really give us a broader view of the book itself. Sure, definitely. So Father Daniel Lord was probably one of the most popular Jesuits of of the early 1900s. He dies in uh, the 1950s. He was a prolific writer. He wrote over, you know, 300 books or pamphlets and, you know, just prolific in in what he wrote. So uh, he was uh, also, he wrote the Code of Ethics for Hollywood. Um, He he was just prolific, as I said. And it was interesting because I'm a Marian theologian. I'm a part of the Mariological Society, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show. And uh, in 2017, they had a conference. It was called Mary and the Sacraments of Initiation. I'm like, okay, you know, I want to write on Mary and the Eucharist. I'm going to propose a paper, see if they accept it. So I, I do that. I And I thought in my mind, I was going to go through all those old hand missiles, right, uh, that, that people took to mass back in the day. And I was going to find all the prayers after communion, and I was going to extract the Marian references. I was going to write about them. Some That was what I thought I was going to do, but end up at this library that I was doing my research at, go down. I'm there in that section. I'm taking pictures. I still have all the pictures I'm sure on my phone because everybody has like 20,000 pictures they've never deleted on their phone. And so I'm at the library bookshelf and and I see a book and it said, Christ in me. And I said, oh, Christ in me. And I'm like, wow, Mary had Christ in her. Maybe this is a book about Mary and the Eucharist. And I opened it up and it, it was said, you know, Christ in me, Meditations After Holy Communion. The very title of my book was the subtitle of his. And there were about 60, 65 meditations. And he had 12 of them dedicated to the Blessed Mother. I said, this is what I want to write on. I said, I don't know who Father Daniel Lord is, but I want to learn about him, and I'm going to write on his Marian Eucharistic theology. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up writing that paper and how he used his imagination uh, for for the prayers, um, how we can receive communion and imitation of Mary and petition, etc. So uh, it was really inspiring to me. And I go off, I present my paper at the conference, and one of my friends, who's a scholar from England, said to me, you know, a few years ago, you wrote that book, A Rosary Litany, and it was all about renewing what St. Louis de Montfort did. What you should do is write a similar book, like Father Daniel Lord, but write it for today's audience. And I said, oh, that's a really nice idea. I kind of thought about it, pitched it to a few publishers. They kind of said no. And when the pandemic happened, though, I realized that this was the right time, that people were going to need something to help them to recover Eucharistic devotion. But my discovery of Father Daniel Lord in Christ in me introduced me to this whole method of praying after Holy Communion. Now, I was familiar with it. I, I, I had done it, but he was giving a model for it to be done. What he used to do was he he would preach to sisters. He, was, he would often celebrate Mass at convents. And afterwards, he would lead the sisters in these meditations. So that's really how his meditations came about. He had two little booklets. One was a commemorative souvenir booklet for the St. Louis Prayer Breakfast, I think, in like 1934. And then the other one was Christ in Me published maybe in the 1950s, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that that was my introduction to Father Daniel Lord. But then I, I started reading more. I read his I read his two books about Mary. I I just was very enamored with 
him. And uh, in fact, he gave a very beautiful reflection for Holy Thursday that I quote in my other in my other book, uh, A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, in which he imagines that Mary was the first sacristan, that she goes and she cleans the uh, upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper. And maybe there was just a tiny droplet of precious blood and she brings it to her lips. And maybe that was Mary's first Holy Communion, you know. So he, he just really brought forward different things you would never consider, but you know, he was a Jesuit and uh, they, they use imaginative prayer. That's what, say, Ignatius of Loyola taught in the spiritual exercises. So discovering Father Lord was life-changing for me and really the inspiration behind meditations after Holy Communion. You know, Father, I didn't know about Father Lord. And uh, I, I, I want to pick up on something that you mentioned because I think it's important. You said that he wrote the Code of Conduct for Hollywood. Yeah, I caught that one too. And I want to talk about that because, I mean, Joe and I are involved in uh, the culture war. You know, we, we were obviously in the pro-life fight and we, we, we try to uh, bring a Catholic perspective to our commentary, uh, not just on this show, obviously, because it's a Catholic network, but in our social media uh conversations as well. But it shows you how a Catholic can influence the culture. I mean, I'm very versed in the Jesuit uh, way. I went to a Jesuit college and the idea that I was always told is to influence those who will be the influencers. And that's Hollywood influences people. So what did he do? He influenced them. We all can do that. If the church did it then, why can't the church do it now? I'd love to hear your comments on that. Yeah, definitely. So for him, and we see this in a lot of the different priests who worked in Hollywood. Father Patrick Payton had experiences, you know, uh, who was it? Frank Sinatra, I think, went to Easter Sunday Mass because of Father Patrick Payton. You think about Archbishop Fulton Sheen and how he facilitated conversions of, of major celebrities and things like that. So so that is one way. And I think if you look at some of those faith-based, uh, faith-based uh, celebrities, for example, example, I, I had the opportunity to see Resurrection, this new film from Roma Downey and Mark Burnett in advance of its release. And then I interviewed Roma Downey and she is a woman of great faith. Uh, you just, she, she can share her faith. She talks about it. She gave me powerful things to, to reflect on myself. Uh, you know, she played Mary in the son of God. So she's standing at the foot of the cross. And she, she said in the interview I did with her, she said that, you know, I believe that Mary stood at the foot of the cross so that when Jesus looked down, he could look down into the eyes of love. And that's something I've sat with all during Holy week was, well, there Mary was so that Jesus could look into the eyes of love. So you have her, you have, you know, think of some of these sports stars, Philip Rivers, a very devout Catholic. Think about the kicker from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so you see how their faith is important to them and how they live it out. And hopefully the people that are watching them are being influenced by that. I think that kicker, I, I, I forget his name. I think it's like Butner or something like that is his last name. I think you're right. I think his name is Buckner. Yeah, he goes to the Latin Mass, I believe. He's he's like an acolyte, and he's really involved in his church. So when people see that this man is a man of faith, well, then that makes an impact. Even think about your priests. So, 
you know, if your priest, there, there's a saying, if your priest is holy, then the people will be holy. If you're, you know, if he's not holy, if he's mediocre, then the people are going to be poor. If, if he's poor, then they're going to be, you know, and it goes on. But basically, I think we look at the people around us and how they influence us. I know that I've taken many different things. I've learned from other people. They've inspired me in the way I live my life. And I've taken that uh, personally. Uh, so, so there is something, as you mentioned, to influence those who are influencers. And a parish priest is the pastor of hundreds of people. And so as you preach, as you witness the life, you're touching people uh, in their own way. I I just want to point out, it's it's so important to, to pray. We talked about prayer and praying the rosary. Well, here's a good intention. You mentioned certain celebrities. There's a lot of Unfortunately, we need more Catholics doing it, okay? But there is a lot of, over in general, Christian movies being made, uh, Christian artists, as you mentioned, athletes. We need to pray for these influencers that they gain more influence. Right. Because I think they're starting to get some traction, Father. Uh, recently, Nick Loeb, who was in a custody, custody battle over embryos with, with his ex-wife, I guess, whatever. He made a new movie that I can't wait to see called Roe versus Wade. Okay, that tell the story about Roe versus Wade. John Voight, I mean, there's A-listers in it, like John Voight, William Forsyth, and, and others. So it's not some B-rated movie. It's 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 a major movie. The trailer, the trailer looks phenomenal. We should pray for them as an intention that their influence becomes greater because I think they're starting to have it have an impact and it could be even more in the future. You know, you might be familiar with the Daughters of St. Paul, uh, a religious congregation of sisters. And one of their charisms is, is they actually adopt celebrities and pray for them. Like they Amen. pray for their conversion uh, for some of them. And, uh, you know, kind of inspired by that, you know, like I like Billy Joel, you know, but his music sometimes and his life probably not so good. But I can pray for Billy Joel then. And so uh, we we can really take to heart that message. and. And as we pray for them, yeah, there. Well, you know, there was that that famous uh, famous activist in the homosexual uh, culture that read Consecration of Saint Joseph and ended up leaving that lifestyle as a result. So, Milo. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you want me to mention it. In case no, it's okay. No, that's fine. Censor it on YouTube or something like that for it. Uh, but, but we're on Catholic radio and, and no, is that no, fine? No, because yeah, we, we actually covered that on our social media show uh, out of a sta- uh, channel up in Canada. And I think it's a great story. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And so there's been so many people who are so upset about that, though. But it's really, you know, this is grace at work. If we believe prayer does something, well, then God gives grace and it helps people. And and they do slowly turn their life around. And and that's what happens when we pray for those people. Just think of the influence that he's having now on people cultivating a devotion to St. Joseph, for example. That's why, that's why they hate him so much. It's a fantastic story. <laughs> that's right. You know, the, the devil hates those who leave the devil's ways and go back, goes back to Christ. So that's why they hate him so much. Go ahead, Joe. Father, you always hear in the Protestant world, I have a personal relationship with Christ. Um, well, what could be more personable from a Catholic perspective than consuming the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord? How can your book, how does your book basically help a person to acquire that personal relationship? Or maybe I could better say, how does it guide someone to that relationship? 
Yeah. So I would say it's definitely through that personal conversation that we have with Jesus. And, you know, Mike Bishop is uh, one of his popular phrases is, is like to be, you know, friends and followers of Jesus. And so to talk to Jesus as if he's your best friend. And so what do you do with your best friend? Well, you share secrets with your friend. You don't hide things from your friends. So, so then that's how we treat our friendship with Jesus. Well, I don't need to hide my sins from Jesus. I don't need to hide my failings. I can bring them to him. I can talk to him. I can ask him for help. A friend helps people. Well, Jesus as our friend is going to help us. So that personal relationship is all about talking and uh, sharing the everything about our life. And, you know, some people might say, well, why do I need to share with Jesus? Because he knows everything. He knows when people were, what they were thinking in their hearts, even before they spoke it, he addressed it. And so why do I need to share it? But when, when Jesus goes and he heals a blind man named Bartimaeus, he says, he says, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now he's blind. Jesus, you know he wants to see, but yet he wants Bartimaeus to say it. So Jesus wants to hear our troubles. He wants to hear our joys. He wants to receive our thanksgiving. And that's the personal relationship that comes about through that prayer, through that conversation. You know, that's what the points to ponder in um, in this book are all about. It's to help people to, to talk to Jesus. What are the things in your life that cause you sadness? What is your emotional state right now? You know, so, so talk to Jesus about being sad and ask him to take that sadness away. Um, that's how we begin to talk with him, I think. So that's really the, the, the goal is to teach people that conversation and that personal relationship. So you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial. And we are having a great conversation in the breach with Father Edward Looney. We're discussing his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion, Guided Meditations for Every Sunday and Other Holy Days. Father, you mentioned Bartimaeus and you mentioned sight. Um, I've, I've taught RCIA and what I always used to say to people when I taught it is blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see the face of the Lord. Very important. Um, talk about confession because I believe frequent confession is something that we need to I guess, see more of, I mean, sadly, a lot of Catholics go, we have to go once a year. It's in the art. It's in the catechism to be a practicing Catholic. It's mandated, but I prescribe to the John Paul II, uh, Fulton Sheen and Padre Pio method go once a month. (laughs) That's my, uh, my personal practice um, because I'm a sinner. And I believe in doing that, not only do we grow in virtue, but we can see clearer, not just the blessed sacrament, but also in the secular world, we see and recognize the truth when our hearts are pure. Could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. And so also, too, you know, talking about guided meditations after Holy Communion. Well, what's the best way to be prepared for Holy Communion? Well, it's to have a clean slate. It's to be totally open to the divine grace that God wants to give to us. And and a lot of people don't realize this, but if you're in the state of serious sin, you shouldn't go up and receive Holy Communion. And so what do you have to do then? Well, you have to go to confession. You have to confess your sins and receive absolution forgiveness. Uh, And so confession really is a good guide, as you mentioned, for everyone's life. And it does. As we go, it begins to 
get at the root of our sins in our life. So whatever we're struggling with, it begins to address that. And so, you know, some people say, I've been committing the same sins year after year. Well, if you go to confession, if you receive the Eucharist, if you pray daily, I'm willing to bet that you're going to notice you sin less, that you're going to choose holier things, that, you know, if you're struggling with an addiction, you're going, once you kick that addiction, well, then you're going to have more time for God, more time for prayer, more time for wholesome things. So um, that confession can really help a person to grow in virtue. And, and the Eucharist is all about growing in grace and virtue is one of those graces for sure. Yeah. I, I, I can't begin to tell you like, aside from, like you said, father cleaning the slate, um, which is just so liberating. I mean, I have a, I have an experience whenever, especially when I I've committed a sin that I feel particularly strong about that. I need to, to, to get off my soul. I, I don't feel it. I can only describe it as an experience. I experience liberation because I know that, 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 that I've been forgiven number one, and now I have the grace not to do it. And I won't get too long winded, but I'm going to tell you, there are also some things that you find in confession that God, uh, that God wants you to know where he speaks to you in confession. I've been to confessions where something out of nowhere comes up and I wasn't there for that. I wasn't there to, let's say, for argument's sake, talk about a particular topic that turned around and turned out to be a grace because I had gone to confession and it triggered something in the priest to remind me of something that I went ahead and applied in my life. So there's so much going on in confession. And I just want to emphasize to all the people out there who might be listening, when people say, or a good priest like Father Looney or Joe and Joe talk about confession, it's not judgmental. Nobody's saying, get the confession. It's for you. It's a gift for you. It's it's not only this, the, the forgiveness of your sins, it's the grace that our Lord wants to give you so that we can overcome our sins. Confession is there for us. So with that, thank you for listening to that, Father. I'll hand it over to Joe. Uh, Father, I, you mentioned St. Joseph. Um, obviously, Joe and I, uh, Joe, two Joes, we have a devotion to St. Joseph. Uh, in our neck of the woods, March 19th is pretty big. We get our St. Joseph's pastries. Uh, that's an Italian tradition. My father always used to bring that to us. Um, I got I got to tell fathers, in my worst times in my life, you know, this is a long time ago in another, in another life, but I swear no matter how much my mother was mad at me when I was living at home, every St. Joseph, I would wake up to a cup of coffee you know, next to my bed, a cup of coffee and a St. Joseph pastry. So we have particular devotion to to uh, the foster father of our Lord. Uh, of course that. And then to the St. Joseph table. Did you guys do the St. Joseph table as as Italians? You know, I know about it. I know it's a I'm not Sicilian. I know okay. it's a Sicilian tradition. It's a great story. I don't get like, uh, you know, there was a famine and then people yes. prayed. To, great story. I love it. St. <laughs> Joe is the man. There's no question about it. And this is obviously the year of St. Joseph. I did read that you have a podcast uh, entitled Cup of St. Joe. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that and where can listeners find it? Yeah, so it kind of just... Uh, you know, everybody wanted to do something, I think, special for the year of St. Joseph. And I, I said, well, what can I do? And I'm like, well, I host a podcast about the Blessed Mother. I could do something about St. Joseph, too, I guess. And um, and I didn't know what that was going to look like. Look like Lots of people are doing once a month things where they have a speaker once a month. And I said, I'm going to be the crazy person and I'm going to do 50 or 48 episodes, you know, however many it is. 
uh, to honor St. Joseph and to do a weekly show, uh, Cup of St. Joseph. So it, it goes out on my Facebook, uh, my my public Facebook page, uh, which is at FR Edward Looney, L-O-O-N-E-Y. So every morning at 6 a.m. Central or 7 a.m. Eastern time at it goes out on Facebook on Wednesdays because Wednesdays are the traditional day of devotion to St. Joseph. And so it goes out that way. And then I upload it to YouTube. YouTube doesn't get a lot of traction. Facebook gets the most. But then I also extract the audio uh, to do a, that you could find on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera. So um, that's that's the cup of St. Joe. And really what I do is I just bring on different people to talk about St. Joseph and whether it's you know, this past, well, let me think. Oh, this past week I interviewed Mike Aquilina, who wrote this wonderful book, uh, St. Joseph and His World. In fact, my Holy Thursday homily is inspired by one of the chapters in here uh, for St. Joseph. So um, I, I talked to art historian Dr. Elizabeth Lev. I, you know, it's just anytime I find something on the Internet about St. Joseph that somebody wrote, I'm like, well, let's talk about that a bit more and uh, and to see really what that devotion of St. Joseph looks like. So uh, I have a lot. I, I can't say I have all 52 weeks planned out, but I have a good chunk and a, an ongoing document of people I want to interview. So um, that's my little homage to St. Joseph for the year. Uh, to help promote devotion. At the very end of the show, we pray, I pray the litany of St. Joseph. And, and uh, it, you know, as a pastor, so I'm the pastor of two rural parishes and three churches, two parishes, four saint names. It, it's confusing. But um, <laughs> I, I always say what I do. So when I do my media work, I do it first for my people. You know, I, I do it so that the people that I serve can have an opportunity to listen to people. You know, some of these people never would have an opportunity or a platform unless they're watching EWTN or listening to your show or something to hear some of these people that I'm able to connect with. But because I'm in Catholic media and I work in that world, well, I can bring them some of the greatest minds and thinkers of Catholicism. And and so I do it for my people firstly, and then I, I let everybody else tag along is what I always say. So um, so I, I kind of branded it as our adult faith formation for the year, simply because with with the pandemic, it's it's difficult to gather for Bible studies and and people just don't seem to to feel comfortable doing that. So um, that was my approach to to doing something special for an entire year for St. Joseph. In your, in, That's in, beautiful. In, in your view, what is uh, what is St. Joseph's most impressive virtue for you? St. Joseph, you know, I would say, I, I would want to say it's his, his charity, his love. Um, I think his love for the Blessed Virgin. In fact, for me, uh, I, that's the way that I make my petition to St. Joseph. I say, St. Joseph, help me to love Mary like you loved her. Uh, I think for him to love Jesus and to accept Jesus and to say this is of God and to really get behind it. Um, you know, that, that, that was great love. So, you know, he's got many other attributes, his chastity, his purity, his, uh, you know, Mike Aquilina in St. Joseph and his world does a little end with a brief reflection on prudence. And so on the cup of St. Joe this week, he said, he thought that was his greatest, uh, virtue was prudence. So, um, pray the litany of, of St. Joseph and you'll find as many titles and maybe one will resonate with you. Everybody loves terror of demons. I was just going to say that actually. Everyone loves that one. So yeah, yeah, that, that's the one I pray every day. I, I, I want to keep those 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 evil you know what's away from me. You know, it's funny. I always when I think of Saint Joseph, I think of his obedience. 
in you know god spoke to him and he immediately acted immediately and uh that is something i think i need you know he didn't question what you want me to go to egypt what do you mean egypt you know i would have been like you want me to leave new jersey i can't get good pizza where am i going to go get my pizza (laughs) i I mean i would question it but he immediately went and i love that um i think that's something i could use particularly to listen to god and then respond um he's a great model joseph yeah, definitely. And, you know, that title Terror of Demons, for example, I think it shows the complementarity of devotion to St. Joseph and also to the Blessed Virgin. Because with Mary, we know that she is the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That's what's on the miraculous medal. That's the Our Lady of Grace statue. So we see kind of these companion titles then. Mary is invoked in exorcisms. Well, St. Joseph, terror of demons. You know, another one, very, very evident, this complementarity is health of the sick. We call Mary health of the sick. We call in St. Joseph and the litany of St. Joseph, the hope of the sick. And so we see again, complementary titles for for the spouses, for the Holy Family. So there is really a a strong connection, I think, uh, in our devotion to St. Joseph and a devotion to the Blessed Mother. And for wives, I encourage wives, pray to St. Joseph that for, for your husbands, pray for your children that he'll protect them just as he protected the Christ child for for fathers pray that you might imitate St. Joseph in his chastity and in his love and um, and also in his protection that you might live a fatherhood that he lived that that's really a good prayer I think for to St. Joseph Father, you're such a busy person. I mean, here you are. You're a pastor. You're a podcaster. You're a lawyer. Uh, you're a lawyer. Oh, good Lord. No, God forbid. No, 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 no. God forbid. You're we, an, take it. we take that back, Father. You're, you're an author. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I heard, um, again, this is just what I heard, that you may be writing a book about St. Joseph, a heart like St. Joseph. Is this true? Father, by the way, we just have about two minutes left, so if you don't sure. mind. A heart like St. Joseph. That's interesting. I, I will talk afterwards. I want to know who shared that with you. I don't think I've publicly announced that, but I did my research, Father. <laughs> I, I've been working on a nine day novena to end the year of St. Joseph with, because I wrote A Heart Like Mary's. And I'm like, well, it, it would make so much sense to have a heart like Joseph's then. And and I'm like, it would be a nice way to bring to a close uh, the, the feet, you know, this year of St. Joseph. So, so my target is to release it. I don't know if a publisher is going to pick it up or not, but it just might be one of those things you put out on your own. So we'll see what happens. Oh God, I bet you pray to St. Joseph. He'll bring it to a publisher. There's no doubt. That's wonderful. I love it. That's one thing I'm a little fearful of when it comes to St. Joseph. My father growing up used to tell me all the time, Joey, you got a big mouth and we pray to St. Joseph for the show. But I was like, here's a, here's a guy we're praying to didn't say a word. And here we are, a couple of big mouth Italian Americans, you know, from North Jersey trying to comment on everything under the sun. Uh, so it's kind of crazy when you think about it. No, but yeah. the, the amazing thing about Joseph, to Joe's point, he didn't say anything, yet he did everything. Um, and if you ask me, next to Jesus and Mary, he's the next greatest saint. Um, and he was normal. You know, he's so relatable. It's a relatable person. I think anyone could relate to Joseph. Uh, He wasn't an intellectual. And frankly, as Joe said, he didn't say a word. Father, if you don't mind, um, a few final thoughts for our audience. And please let our audience on Veritas Catholic Network know where they can purchase your book. 
Sure. Yeah. So uh, you can follow me on social media again at FR Edward Looney, Facebook, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, Instagram as well. So uh, watch a cup of St. Joe or listen to it. You can find my podcast, how they love Mary cup of St. Joe on the, the main podcast platforms and uh, the book uh, meditations after Holy communion. You can find through Sophia Institute press. They published it uh, along with a Lenten journey with mother Mary as well. And just, uh, yeah, support your Catholic book publishers, but also your bookstores. With the, buying from Amazon is great. Sure, it's convenient. You get it quickly, but it doesn't keep the lights on. And I found that I love going to Catholic bookstores, and I'm like, I could get the book today, and I don't have to wait two days, and I can start reading it right now. And so that's that's a good reason to support your Catholic bookstores. Absolutely. Father Edward Looney, we want to thank you so much for coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. And we want to thank all of you out there, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, share do all that fun stuff, hit the little bell. And remember until next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.